Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Always consult with the Lord first. Always ask Him, what do I do? It's okay to not have every answer. And they go, huh, see, you don't know. You're not a good Christian. You don't have the answer. You don't have to always know. You can't always know. And when they make fun of you, I'll say, you don't know. Well, no, I don't. I, that's why I go before the Lord God and say, God, you deal with it. He put it before the Lord. Now, it looks to me like Hezekiah has done a complete turnaround, a complete 180 from what he was doing in chapter 18. In chapter 18, he goes, hey, how much money you want, I'll pay you. He's completely the other way around now. Thank God. <laughs> If the Bible doesn't excite you, you're not reading it. This is us in this story. Don't look at Hezekiah. Oh, Hezekiah, how dare you? This is you and me. Always take it to the Lord God. But he's done a turnaround. And what's another word for turnaround? What's another word for this? I'll tell you, it's rated R. People hate this word. It starts with er and it ends with epent. Repent. He repented. That's turned around. God loves repentance. Oh, he loves it. It's okay when you mess up, just repent real quick. I'm sorry. God goes, all right, we're still good, man. Repent. 2 Kings 19, 15. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, underline, highlight that right there. O Lord God of Israel. When you talk to people about God, don't just say G-O-D. You call him by his name, distinctive it's set apart. It's holy. Everybody has a G-O-D, their own version of a G-O-D. When you call him Lord God of Israel, you get specific. I could point at Sandy and say, hi, Sandy, or I could say, hi, that person right there. And it sounds very impersonal and it sounds rude. Call him by his name. And he's addressing by his name. So he said, oh, Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. See how he's countering. What about all the other gods that got taken down? What about them? He says, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which was the king of Assyria, which he has sent to reproach, insult the living God. Lord God, hear this. If somebody's talking macho smack to you or whatever it is, and they're threatening you, you run to an authority. He's like, are you hearing this? You hear this guy? That's what Hezekiah is saying. Lord God, are you hearing this? (laughs) I'm hearing it. Lord, would you act on this? But you can tell King Hezekiah was trusting in the Lord by the way he described the Lord in his prayer. Has a lot to do with the way you address somebody. 
When I see somebody, I come in earlier, I said, hey, Matthew. I didn't go, hey, dude. How you address somebody shows how you respect them. And he's saying, you are the oh Lord God of Israel. He described the Lord in his prayer as the one who dwells between the cherubim. And I got a lot of mileage out of this right here. The one who dwells between the cherubim. What is this? The cherubim. A cherub is an angel. The cherubim is plural. The cherubim are those two angels of gold that were fashioned into the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was placed in that center room of the temple known as the Holy of Holies. Now, where's Hezekiah praying? He's in the house of the Lord. He's in the temple. So when you consider that Hezekiah took his prayer to the temple, he was acknowledging that the Lord was dwelling near where he was praying at. He's in that temple, and he knows that the cherubim on top of the ark is very close by. And he says, Lord, you're dwelling very, very close to me. Do you hear what this guy is saying to insult you? I recognize you're close, Lord God. Will you hear my prayer? Now, something I wanted to say is that back in that time, before Jesus died on the cross, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given to man for direct indwelling. Today, we get the Holy Spirit in us here. This is where the Lord God dwells if you're a believer. Here, we are now the temple. But back then, Jesus hadn't made the way yet. The Holy Spirit was not given for an indwelling. I keep thinking that when I get to heaven, I can't wait to go find... Well, I'm going to find Jesus first, obviously. Him and I are going to talk a while and party and all that. But I'm going to go look for Moses. And I'm going to sit down with Moses and say, Moses, oh my God, you have got to tell me what that was like when the Red Sea parted. That must have been so cool. Tell me about that. Moses is going to go, huh? You tell me what it was like to have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. I never got that. We have greater than what he did because we have it directly here. So before then, uh, in Hezekiah's time, there was no direct indwelling. Jesus gave us the gift of indwelling. It's the closest that God could dwell with sinful man is what we have right now, an indwelling. But back then, in Hezekiah's day, the closest dwelling that God could have with sinful man was between the cherubim on the, on the ark of the covenant. And he's in that house as close in there as he could get, praying to God as close as he could. You know, the Jews today, there's tunnels underneath where the temple used to be, and they go under in them tunnels. They go in as close as they can get to where the Holy of Holies used to be underneath. And they're down there. They're just going. They're praying. And I asked the guide, I said, what, what, I mean, why doing this way down under here? He goes, because the Holy of Holies was directly over our head. And I'm like looking at this rock, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. They're trying to get to as close to God as they can. They don't realize that he gave us an indwelling here. They don't know that their Messiah has come. And they're down in these catacombs down in there trying to get close to God. So I'm just trying to give you the understanding that Hezekiah was praying, Lord, you dwell between the cherubim of the ark. It was hidden away behind a veil because of sinful man. It made a separation between us and God. But he's like, Lord, I'm trying to get as close to you as I can. Will you hear my prayer? Do you feel the passion he's trying to put in this prayer? Lord God, we're in trouble. 
And I want to get as close as you as I can. I'm sorry that I tried to buy these guys off. I'm sorry that I stripped the gold off the doors. I'm sorry that I thought I could write, send them a blank check. I'm sorry. Now I'm trying to get as close to you as I can. Would you please save us? Friends, we got to do this. Lord God, I'm sorry for all the times I did it wrong. Lord, I want to get as close to you as I can. Please save us. So you can tell how Hezekiah's prayer was one of great regard for the Lord God. His prayer was basically, yes, we sinned, we messed up, but you, O Lord God of Israel, you dwell between the cherubim, meaning you want to save your people and you want to be close to your people even though we are a mess. That is our God. I want you to understand, as much as you've messed up, as much of a failure as you label yourself to be, of all the things you're incapable of doing, your God, the God of Israel, wants to be close to you enough where you will call out to Him in any kind of trouble you ever have, even if it's a headache. Can we do that? Let's do that. Moving on. He says, hear our plea for help and hear the insults that the king of Assyria has thrown against you and save us. Hezekiah finally learned how to give up trying to fix things his own way. And if you're trying to fix your problems your way, I dare say you're not asking God like you ought to be. Repent and ask God first and let him show you what to do for all you know the problem you have that looks like it's about to roll over you might just jump up and run away like the Assyrians did it can be that easy because God knows how to do how to do that so he gave up trying to fix his, his own way and he learned to simply lay his trouble down before the Lord God in prayer that's what I want us all to do today it's just lay it before the Lord. Second Kings nineteen seventeen. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from the, his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. There is one God, one, and he has a specific name. There's only one you, and you have a specific name. Don't generalize God. Don't, you don't want to be generalized either. There's only one Ray Jensen right here. This is it. This is all the Ray Jensen there is. There is one God. He is the God of Israel, and thank God he grafted us Gentiles in. But make no mistake, he's the God of Israel. He's not the God of America. He's the God of Israel. You can't hate the Jews and call yourself a Christian at the same time. It doesn't add up. (laughs) He's specific. He has a personality. He has character traits, and we need to know what they are and pray to him and regard those traits for who he is. So the king of Assyria had this great track record. He could take down every nation he wanted to, and he did. He took them all down. So he bragged about himself as being Mr. Tough Guy. And when he bragged about himself all over these nations, what he did is he gained so much international attention on himself... He gained so much worldwide attention that when the Lord puts this guy out... 
then Hezekiah's prayer will be answered to show all the kingdoms of the earth that the Lord is God. See, the king of Assyria made this big. He made this worldwide. All God has to do is snuff him out, and God is worldwide. See what I'm saying? If you ever get yourself in a snag that gets made, that's made public, and it's embarrassing, and everybody knows, I say turn it around and use it for the Lord. It's being made public on you so you can demonstrate God to a lot of people. I've been made a public spectacle before in my life, especially being at this pulpit. It's happened. But you know what? I thought, I'm going to use it for God. I'm not going to worry about it. Well, he said this about me. So what? Use it for the Lord God. Use it to glorify him. And that's what's happening here. So that's exactly what Hezekiah asked in his prayer. He said, Lord, show the whole world who you are. And so the king of Assyria, he thought his global domination was about his own glory, when in reality, it was actually going to be used to demonstrate God's power to the entire world. It's just going to backfire on this guy so bad. It's amazing. So now Judah was a very, very small kingdom. It was the smallest kingdom of Israel. All the other kingdoms were always bigger. And, you know, the world likes to gauge that I'm bigger than you. I can beat you up. I'm taller than you. I can kick you across the room and you don't have any power. They even said, we don't have any strength to do this. And God loves to use the smallest things to demonstrate his power. Because when he does that, the more impossible it appears to the world, the better God's power is displayed. This is why God used a small guy named David to kill a giant named Goliath. And this is also how God can use a small you, even in the face of giant problems. Because the more impossible it looks like you're going to get through it, the better God gets glorified when he brings you through it. Isn't that good, good news? I love it. It will work out that way if, and I dramatize if, if you will lay it down before the Lord. There's too many people that won't. Have you laid it down before the Lord? No, I've still got a few things I'm going to try to do. Well, then this ain't going to work out for you. Give it to the Lord God. 2 Kings 19.20 Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. I have heard you. God listens. You know those little bumper stickers going around out there of that radio station? God listens. (laughs) They're not talking about he listens to the radio station. They're talking about he listens to the prayer of a broken person that says, Lord, I have nothing left. I have to turn it over to you now. He listens to that. Now, I love it when God gives us confirmation like this. He sent a message back. I heard you. I heard you. I'm going to do something about it. I love confirmation. He confirms our salvation when we believe in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus for real, he absolutely confirms it by giving us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And when you get that indwelling, the confirmation is that he will change your thinking. I've told people before when they accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I said, now here's what you need to expect. You're going to start hating things that you loved and loving things that you hated. It's going to flip. Your thought patterns are going to be different. And you're going to be like, what in the world is going on? I want you to know up front, it's because the Holy Spirit got in there. He's cleaning house. So he'll change your habits, things you used to want. And it's a noticeable, and it, it is also a measurable 
change. People are going to see it. Ray, you're not the same guy you used to be. I know people that still won't come to my church because they think I'm the guy they knew 30 years ago. (laughs) So you should see me now. What the Lord has done to me. It's measurable. It's different. And God confirms that you're saved. And he also speaks things to us to confirm his word. He doesn't just say, here's my word, trust it, and I'm going to give you nothing to back it up. He's going to confirm it to back it up. And that's why some people say, well, Ray, what makes your religion the right one? Because God's word does exactly what it says it's going to do. False religions don't have that. They claim a lot of things, but they never are able to perform what they claim they're going to do. God's word does what it says it's going to do. He confirms what he, what he says he's going to do. And when he does that, when, he, when the Lord speaks to us, like he just spoke to Hezekiah, it confirms, it validates, and it encourages us to have complete confidence that he will act for us. I want to ask you, has God told you yet he's going to do something in your life and you haven't fully trusted that he's going to pull it off? Are you in your Bible enough to even know what he says he's going to do for you. See, I'm backtracking now. Where are you at on the spectrum? How far in are you? When he says he's going to do something, he will. It encourages, encourages us to have confidence that he's going to do what he said. And so God spoke through his prophet Isaiah. Now think of Isaiah as kind of like the red phone hotline to God. That's, they spoke through the, the prophets and he, he communicated. He spoke through Isaiah that God heard and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord with a very specific request asking the Lord to incline his ear that was his specific prayer we have been praying a specific prayer Lord get us in a building that we can call our own with a landlord that has a heart for churches and I haven't even talked to the landlord yet the realtor told me he says you've got a great landlord he told me he said The landlord said, if I can get a church in this building, then I feel I could be blessed back if I bless a church. We got the landlord we were asking for. And I still don't even know who the guy is, but we got him. And here we are as proof, God's word fulfilled. Hezekiah prayed specifically, incline your ear, and the Lord answered specifically, I heard. I want to ask you, are your prayers specific? Or are you just, God, I'm in trouble, get me out. Are you praying specifically? You should. If you don't pray specifically, you're not really believing God has the power to act. So pray specifically. He says, I heard. But not only did the Lord hear, but he also had a thing or two to say about the king of Assyria for spouting all those insults off. (laughs) Ooh, this is the part I want to get into. So he had a few things to say. And as you read this, you'll see why it's written out in a poetic form. It's written in a kind of a poetic uh, type of style, which was probably to enhance the language that these are the thoughts of the Lord God himself is why it's in poetic form. It says 2 Kings 19.21, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him, the virgin, The daughter of Zion has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Okay, the fact that Jerusalem was was called the virgin daughter, I think that may be suggesting that at this point in history, Jerusalem had never been conquered yet. The virgin daughter has not been violated in that sense. So here come the enemy. We're going to get you. And the Lord says, no, you're not. 
That, that's what he's basically saying. You're not going to do anything like you think you are. So Jerusalem had never been conquered and, and up until that time when it, when it had become under Israelite control. So for the king of Assyria to brag about all the nations he'd conquered before, God was saying, fine, but Jerusalem has never been taken yet. Not this one. Not this town, buddy. God's like, this is my town. <laughs> this macho talk, uh, the king of Assyria to boast about taking over all these other kingdoms, this unconquered Jerusalem would hear all this big macho talk and, and just shake her head. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get Jerusalem's like, no, you're not. That's why he said she shook her head at you. As if to say, this king has no idea what he's talking about. We have the Lord God of Israel. You're not going to take us. This is God's town, Jerusalem. Second Kings 19.22 Whom you have reproached and blasphemed, against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel? So King Sennacherib's insults were not just directed at Jerusalem, but when he insulted Jerusalem, he insulted the Lord God himself. He took it very, very seriously. Any of you who have a family to protect, and if somebody came and assaulted one of your own family, that would be the same as if they assaulted you personally. I would take it a personal insult, uh, assault upon me if somebody tried to attack and violate my wife. You just attacked me, not just her. God loves Israel, and the Lord God took these threats personal. He's saying, you did not just insult Israel. You did not just insult Jerusalem. You insulted me, king of Assyria, macho man. We shake our head at you. So he is known as the God of Israel in here, we've seen. And Jerusalem is the very center of all creation. That's an amazing way to think about it. Jerusalem is the bullseye of the bullseye. And I have warned people who said, I want to go to Israel. And they're kind of loopy. They're not really right with the Lord God. I've heard it said, and I've seen it happen, and I believe it. Whatever you are here will get amplified if you go to Jerusalem. If you're a knucklehead here, if you're a faker here, it's going to produce heavy if you go into that bullseye, Jerusalem. But if you truly love the Lord God for real, you go to Jerusalem, it's going to come out of you even more. Because it is the center of the center of everything. And it is God's. And He takes it very, very personal. I want to show you, before we wrap up, how just how special Jerusalem is to the Lord God so you can understand why God has taken this so seriously. 1 Kings 14.21 says, Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put His name there. Okay. If you do a great work, let's say uh, a painting, let's say you're a painter and you made a big master work, what do you do when you're done? You sign it. Whenever I've been in an art gallery and I say, man, that, that painting really attracts my attention. I look it over and I'm like, wow. Then eventually I go, who did this? And I'm looking for the name because sometimes they artistically sign it in there, which is hard to find, but part of the art itself, you can find the, who, who, who did it. And the Lord God is like this with all of creation. He made all of creation, all the world, and He signed it, and He chose to put His name on Jerusalem.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.